Thank you for downloading Fearless in Devotion, a podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Here they come, our mighty champions, raise your voices to the anthem, marching with our mighty army, Wrexham is the name, Fearless in Devotion. Christ Noel, welcome back to the Fearless and Devotion podcast, episode 56, delayed by a week. So apologies about that, but we've been busy with a few bits and bobs. So yes, please accept our sincere apologies. Anyway, we are just recording this, me a couple of hours after we smashed Altrincham across the park, 4-0. Another uh, fluid Wrexham display, especially the first half. Second half was a bit crappy, but it is what it is. And the atmosphere um, was kind of sucked out of it by that late, late, late Stockport winner against Solihull. Um, what were your thoughts, chaps? Liam, you were there. Andy, you were far away. I'll go with you first, Liam. General thoughts about how that game went? I think the first 45-minute performance was as good as I've seen us all season, really. Just really free-flowing in attack. Mullin absolutely taking the piss. Could have had, could have had a hat-trick arguably, but you can't argue with the first one, a brilliant header lapped like a salmon. Uh, their defender couldn't keep it out. And then I think the second one was just a, you know, just hit it really fast, powerful, really good strike. So yeah, it was good. Um, second half was a little bit flat, but I didn't really mind that. I mean, we didn't concede. We didn't, it was just a bit scrappy because I think the game as a contest was over after um 45 minutes. And I was like everyone else, I was, one eye on my phone to see how um, Stockport are doing. But I've been a little bit resigned to the Stockport situation, if I'm honest, for a couple of weeks. So I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit more. But um, yeah, overall, good game. Monday. Yeah, I mean, from afar, I mean, I'll be honest, walking through uh, West London after finishing work, absolutely on a high with that first half, just goals going in. Saw the first one, you tweeted it, Tim. It was, it just looked, you know, a good finish. Obviously, you know, I sort of thought, well, there's not really much to gain by going full, full, full hammer at it in the second half. So I could understand him switching a few people around and maybe just not really capitalising on that. I would say the, the Stockport, goal knocked the wind out of me a little bit because I was starting to believe I thought if they didn't if they couldn't win that one they'd have got with our you know our sort of their lead would have been cut from 11 to to five would it be I mean I, I just mm-hmm. thought it was in our hands and to for, the, for them to win was a bit of a kick in the bollocks to be honest I mean right let's, let's ask the question Tim do you think we can still do it I do and but that's because I'm just being a hopeless romantic about it all Ultimately, Stockport took three points over the Easter weekend. We took four. Um, you know, I mean, they've had a bit of a wobble. Was it? You know, they lost against us. They lost against Grimsby. Um, they stumbled a little bit today, but pulled out of the bag. And it's almost like a role reversal. Maybe it's Stockport's turns of a late, late goal, and us to, to sort of give somebody a, a drill in before half time. So maybe the roles are reversed in that sense. It's a bit weird, but. Yeah, it's just a slugfest, isn't it? You know, one, it's a bit like we can go back to the whole Fleetwood thing again. You know, somebody goes, right, this is us, over to you. And then they, they've pulled it out of the bag last minute. So, you know, if they go ahead and they win it, then you just got to take your hat off and go, right, fair enough. But 
I think we can all agree that there's nobody in that playoff shakeup now. I really fear. I think Dagenham are starting to, to look pretty tasty. They seem to be coming together for the top of my head. But Boreham Wood, did they lose again today? I think they, yeah, I they're think, out. I, I, I don't uh, even think they're going to make the playoffs, like mate. Stone. Sank like a stone. And but mm. uh, I, I, we've touched on this before about, about this season being almost like two separate halves. Because I was thinking about when we played Altrincham. Was it before Christmas or was it on Christmas? I think it was the was it Boxing Day? But it was Boxing Day, and I thought we were I thought we were pretty rubbish to be honest. Did we win no, one we nil, two nil? Yeah, pretty... no, we were two nil, but we were hanging on towards the end because yeah. if they'd got one back, it would have been a proper, it proper was, squeaky bum. It was, it was pretty bad. So that tells you how much progress we made since then until now. We look the real deal. I think we are the real deal. Um, I, 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 everybody feels the same same way now. You know, worst case scenario, you get that second spot, you get another home one-off playoff game to get to the final. You'd fancy yeah. against anybody at home. I mean, the the, 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 the seven-in-a-row thing has, has reaped rewards and we're just looking good. So, not many negatives to take from that game today, to be honest. I mean, yeah, the, the goals were different different gravy, especially Mullins' second was ridiculous and Palmer's brilliant finish, just first time curled with his right foot, really good. We took the foot off the gas second half, but so what? Job done, out of the way. Um, Palmer's more than a target man, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, something something pointed out before that his best ever season was in National League North. I can't remember who with, and I think that was on. I think he had maybe twenty two goals for the season. So if you if you include his goals for us and Wimbledon, I think he's I think he's on twenty already. So he's he's on course to eclipse that over the course of this season with two separate clubs. So. He's hit, he's, hit, he's hit the ground running, he's found his feet, he seems very, very happy here, um, you know, which we can testify in the in the exclusive interview in the forthcoming issue for of the Fearless fanzine, so keep an eye out for that. Um, but yeah, generally happy onwards to Woking. And I forgot to mention, I should have said this at the start before you didn't, I got carried away. We're lacking the bells and whistles in this podcast once again. Just because we wanted it to be, you know, like a Wrexham victory, straightforward, straight back, no airs and graces. It is what it is. So you'll have to excuse the uh, the lack of fluidity and little jingles and stuff from us. But it will be coming back, just not yet. Yeah, Reese Bells and Whistles Williams is is away for a couple of weeks, so uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to miss his sort of uh, <clears throat> putting fairy dust on our on our magic words. Liam, can I just ask you one thing because you were a big critic of this fella. Uh, start of the season, James Jones. Superb, absolutely superb. And what I like about him more than anything, I, I think he's got some really classy touches and attack. But I think it's just his energy levels. You know, when you're playing a full ninety-minute match against some, we've been in some really tough games. Um, you know, where it's gone right until the end. And the one player who's always hanging around like a blue ass fly is James Jones. He never looks like he gets tired. I don't know where he finds his energy levels from. So the thing is, you know, I, I was a critic of him at the start of the season, but ultimately, like all of us, I wanted him to do well. And boy, has he really turned it on this second half of the season. Um, uh, you know, and when it looked at one stage, I thought that when they brought in O'Connor, he could be the man to to step aside. I did but, too. Yeah, it's, it's ch- turned around completely. 
Tom O'Connor, anyone... remember him? Yeah, <laughs> where's, yeah. where's he? He's, has he fallen down the same sort of well? That Tom Taylor. To any any midfielder called Tom, Tom. In, uh, that we 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 buy just just disappears without a trace. Does, does any can anyone really put their finger on what's changed for James Jones? Was it just a couple of games like he missed and he just sort of he recovered from long right. COVID. He recovered right. from long COVID. It's just, it's just straightforward and as simple as that. Um, he had it. He struggled with his breathing, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and then it finally cleared up and. We got the player we all thought we we were getting, rather than the kind of maybe sort of dud we thought we had got. So, yeah, massive. But you know, if Tom O'Connor is is deemed fit for next week, does he start? I don't think so. He goes straight onto the bench, doesn't he? Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, we thought we had Paul Barrett, but we've got we've got um, <laughs> a lot. Of, you know, we've got we've got a much better player than that. We've got we've got like a Jay Harris sort of character. With with some more flair going forward, really. But Paul, um, if you're listening, Paul Barrett, you're more than welcome to come on the podcast just to put that out there. <laughs> we, we needed a good Geordie voice to break up the monotony of us. He was a, he was a really nice fellow, Paul Barrett. When I uh, when I first started covering Wrexham, one of hair the like Ronnie O'Sullivan, you know, solid. He did, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Anyway, we've gone we've gone too too much on Paul Barrett for this uh, for this podcast. Um, we're going to do the predictions now just because, as we've alluded to, the bells and whistles are not on this one. So we're just trying to make it as easy to edit as possible. So there's good news and there's bad news. Um, the good news is I've got the tables here and they're all totted up. The bad news is it's completely as we were because we haven't done, we didn't do the Easter one but due to unforeseen circumstances. But I would just like to say if we had have done the Easter weekend, I would have probably gone nil-nil Solihull and I would have definitely gone four-nil Altrincham. So if you guys want to put those points <sighs> in for what, what, well, what if, I would if, have. If, if, if it's Reese Bells and Whistles Williams, then it's Andy Null and Void Gilpin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's cut to it. We all went for a Barnet win. We all went for an Eastley win. So it's as we were. Liam, you've got 52. Tim, you're leading the pack on 54. I've got 48. And shameful, shameful, Reese Williams is on 42 and will have to have a Chester tattoo on his forehead. I'm thinking he's not going to do the Chester tattoo on 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 his forehead on his wedding day. But seeing as we've now given this Bells and Whistles nickname, should we not get him to dress up as a Morris dancer and give us a bit of a bit of a bit of a twirl and stuff? I mean, life? Welshman Reese Williams would love dressing up as a quintessential Englishman. So yes, I do actually think that we should make him do that. In the meantime, right, Woking. Uh, I've got Reese's predictions. He's gone for a two-one victory for the Dragons. He's trying to, uh, you know what, what he should do is try and go against the grain if he wants to get it back, because I'm going to go for a, a win as well. I'm going to go for a 3-1 win. Tim? Uh, ooh, I think I'll go for a, I'm going to go for a cheeky 2-0 Wrexham. Yeah. Okay, I'll take that. Liam? 3-1 Wrexham. Sorry, 2-1? 3-1, sorry. Oh, so I, oh, I thought you were just covering uh, Reese's uh, <coughs> scores until the end of the uh, season, so you make sure no, you won't last. I'm going for the title. Fair enough. You've gone for the same as me. Um, so let's go forward to today's interview. Ooh. So 
we're going to speak to a guy close to my heart. Well, literally close to my heart because he grew up about a couple of streets away from me in, in Penakai. Um, really nice chat. Really nice fella, actually. Sort of very honest. I'm just going to tell you now, we've clickbaited you because at the end of this interview, we are going to end abruptly on a cliffhanger but it's going to make you want to come back for more. So I'm a little bit sorry for that, but I'm not sorry for that. And here we go with the Penakai Pele. Pele, even Pele. We were so close to getting it done in one take. The Penakai Pele. I'm leaving this in. Pele, go on. Come on, Pele. Oh, yeah, the dog called Pele. Um the Penakai Pele, Robbie go. Evans. Before Jordan Davis was one of our own, there was another fellow who epitomised that very spirit. He grew up in Penakai, or hands in the sky, as Kevin Russell used to call it, just a few miles from the ground and made his debut in 2012. He went on to make 120 appearances, scoring seven goals, including a Thunderbastard of Barnet and another against some club up the road. He became a uh, captain at a young age and enjoyed spells under Andy Morell, Kevin Wilkin, Gary Mills and Dean Keats. Then he went out the frying pan into the fire by joining Villaricky, but we knew he'd be back and he currently helps coach the youth setup, give some, giving something back to his hometown club. Welcome to the pod, Robbie Evans. How are you? Very well. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm a big fan of the show, so um, yeah, I'm glad I'm finally oh. on it. Oh, great. Is it Robbie or Rob? You know what? My name is actually Robert, but the only people that call me that is my mum or my dad. Yeah, it just always went Robbie, kind of, when I was at Wrexham. Um, we had a few scouts when I was in the team, when I was seven or eight, and then they don't say Rob or they can't say it. It just turns out to be Robbie, and then it just kind of stuck. So, yeah, while well, I played for Wrexham, really. I suppose if we're being stereotypical, Rob in, in scouts means something a bit different. Yeah, and exactly, yeah. In football, I get called the other part of Rob, yeah, a few times, to be honest. So, like, Robbie, I think, in the football industry is kind of what I go with, yeah. So, first question, uh, were you a Wrexham fan growing up? Um, not a massive Wrexham fan, um, if I'm being brutally honest. Um, obviously, I used to follow the scores and stuff like that, um, Where because my dad was very rugby-based. So, he kind right. of, I didn't start football until about, about 10. So, it was kind of late, really. Um, a lot of people obviously are starting now, ages of five and six. Um, you know, I used to follow the scores and stuff like that. But obviously, how my dad worked his hours, I couldn't always go to the games. I think it was just obviously like the community foundation used to come to your schools and give you free tickets. And obviously, mm. I used to grab my hand on one just to go and watch a live football game. Um, and then obviously, my dad used to start taking me. And then it kind of came into a routine at the ages of 10, 11 that, well, you know, I really like this when watching the likes of Mark Jones, Darren Ferguson, you know, Ugarte when he was in his prime. And then yeah. that's when I kind of, you know, then that's when I was locked on. I've been a Wrexham supporter. And then my dad was taking me yeah, every week then when uh, we could possibly go. So you sort of mentioned a few few, few favourites there, but sort of like when, you, when you're sort of playing, playing on the park or playing on the wreck as it is in Penakai, who were you? I was Steven Gerrard. Yeah, oh. always. Yeah, <laughs> always, mate. You know what? He's just, just because, you know, he's, well, what he's done, you know, he's, achieved more than anything you know just being a local lad from Liverpool but I'm a big Liverpool supporter so um, he's just yeah he's got all attributes but you know I used to get the old Scholesy shout as well considering I'm a Liverpool fan just used to like Scholes just how you know simple he was how he used to play the football and that Um, but yeah when I was on the mugger down the old uh, Penakai I was Gerard. 
Barry, I mean, take us through your time with the youth team. Was, was there any doubt you would sign for Wrexham? I know you said you came into football quite late, but, you know, were you, were you always head and shoulders above everyone else at, at primary school level? Um, primary school level, yeah, you know, if my mates listen to this, they'll probably back me. Yeah, I was. Um, but then, obviously, when you go up the Penakai area and you start playing with the likes of lads in the old Wrexham area and not even that North Wales at Wrexham, I probably wasn't. Um, but one thing I always had was desire. You know, my attitude was always right. Dedication that I had, you know, because I felt like that I overachieved. You know, just being a lad from a council estate in Penakai, it's got the chance to actually play for Wrexham. I left everything, you know, even at under-13s all the way through, I left everything there on the... And I think that's what the club thrived off. And I think that's what every academy kind of thrives off. Before anything, um, your passion for the game and for the club matters more than your ability. Um, and I think that's what stood out for me. It was only until probably under-16s when I started learning kind of a way how to, like, show my main attributes because I wasn't the biggest. I wasn't the fastest. I, I just had good like cardio really. My fitness was very good. Um, so then I, I changed like my game a little bit where I could affect games more. And what, um, you know, I wasn't the kind of the ones who would score all the goals. I wouldn't be the one who assist all the goals, but I'd be one of them kind of players that you need in your team to make the other team, uh, make the other players, sorry, get the assists and get the goals. Um, and it wasn't probably until... Joey Jones, I got a three-year scholarship rather than a two-year scholarship. I think Leo Smith, I think he was on the show. I think he possibly got the same kind of deal as well. And that three-year yeah. scholarship kind of gives you a, a year platform, basically, just to hopefully you get that growing spurt or you need a bit of extra time to adapt to things. But it was just lucky that um, I found a, a local gym and, um, yeah, I managed to get, well, not see out the three-year scholarship and get um, my professional contract a bit earlier. Yeah, so the free year scholarship, does that mean it started early or you had an extra year at the end? So there was a bit so of it starts exactly the same time. It just means you get an extra year. Um, it just means the first year you don't get paid. Um, so you right. don't start your, uh, your college scholarship until the second and third year. So obviously when I was in the first team, I was still going to college as well, at, uh, right. at 17, 18, because obviously that was still my second year scholarships. And obviously I did a year of college work. I wanted to see it off. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, all the only difference is you just don't get um, paid. I think you just get expensive. I think it was £100 a month, I think I got, which obviously uh, that was just for the old um, number four Penakai bus into Wrexham and then the number one bus to Gresford, yeah. <laughs> the high um, life. You mentioned him, but what was your ex first experience of Joseph Patrick Jones? By far to this day, and I think till the day I retire, the best coach I, I never saw Joey as a manager. Joey was a coach to me. We, all, we had Andy Davis at the time and he was kind of, you know, the tactical kind of side of it. So we saw him as our manager. But Joey, coach-wise, um, to this day, and probably, like I said, till I retire, he'll be the best coach I've ever had. Just obviously learning from the best. One, someone who's probably been in every similar position from someone who's come from the youth team has not had it all for them. They've had to work for it. And um, like I said, for me, that's probably someone you know, the best person you can actually learn from. Someone who's done it the hard way and grafted and grinded to get actually what they, you know, they need to achieve or what they should achieve. Um, just some of the drills that I used to do, you laugh at it, but then you look back and you think, you know what? That comes from Joey Jones's session. Do you know what I mean? Like doing slide tackles on the AstroTurf. That's unheard of. Or we, I remember one preseason. It was. I don't think we had any rain for three weeks, and you can imagine the ground was rock solid. You could probably wear your trainers on it, and he'd he'd put a football behind a mannequin, so he'd stick the mannequin into the ground, 
I don't know how he got the mannequin into the ground. He must have hammered it in or something like that. And he put a ball behind it and it'd be a team either end of the mannequin and you'd have to, you'd say your number and you'd have to race out to the mannequin. It wouldn't, that wouldn't be it. You'd have to slide tackle the mannequin and the first one to win the football would win a point. And we did that for an hour. And now we're of our training session pre-season. So yeah, we're doing a bit of fitness, disguise running, bit of fun, but you can imagine some of the lads' legs, the grass rims and stuff like that. But again, that's that's how it was when he did it. And it's probably no different how it is now, especially in non-league football and League Two, League One. So like I said, we got there's more drills that he's done that were you think, why are we doing this? But when you're playing a football match for Wrexham, you think, right, this is why it matters and this is why he did it. And that's why today he's probably still the best coach I've ever worked under. Is Are there the sort of drills that you could give your under-15s now? <laughs> no, I'd be sacked. <laughs> I'd have the parents <laughs> ringing me up the next day saying the kid can't go to school, he can't walk. Um, <laughs> I still, I, I do I do take some of the drills that I did with Joey when it comes to the running, you know, like the, the running drills and stuff like that I do. I do take some of that away from it I might change some of the sessions that I used to do with Joey that I can do now with my under 15s minus obviously the swearing and stuff that goes on with it that Joey used to provide to us um, but yeah like I said I mirror some of the drills but adjust them just a little bit to obviously the under 15 lads yeah Another person you mentioned there is Andy Davis. So obviously, I think we all know he's a very highly regarded coach. But yeah. when he took over Wrexham, things didn't go didn't go very well. Do you think Do you think he's he's had a fair crack of the whip of what he's actually given to Wrexham over the over the last sort of decade? Yeah, it, like I said, it, I don't bl- I don't think anyone can blame Andy for taking the position what he got offered to him to be you know the assistant manager of Wrexham and the Keats. I think anyone who's worked up the ladder like Andy has again a local lad who's come through the ranks, played a little bit in the Welsh system and then got the chance of being the head of the academy at Wrexham. When at the time you had the likes of you know Stephen Cooper was there, obviously he was the head of youth, and Steve Weaver, who's now at Norwich. You know he's worked his way up and he's been highly, you know, granted by them coaches that are now. I've gone even further. Um, it was it was just a shame. <laughs> excuse me. It was just a shame. Obviously, what worked out for Wrexham. I, I, you know, I think I think he is a he is a very good coach. You know, and I still think you know when the right job comes for him, he, he'll he'll grab it with both hands. And he's definitely got great ideas. And you know, he he led us the youth team boys to winning the youth alliance league when you've got the likes of Burnley and Rochdale, very high you know highly rated academies in that league. And I think over the 20 years, only two Wrexham youth teams have won that. Um, and they've both been under Andy Davis. So, he's, like I said, he's highly required of his uh, of what he can achieve and what he can do. Um, and I think, obviously, under the right club circumstances, uh, yeah, he'll get, um, he'll get another chance somewhere. And, you know, hopefully it goes all good for him. I mean, coming back to your three-year scholarship, when did you sort of think, hang on, I've got a chance here. Hang on, things are moving that I can get into this first team. It was when, on the Tuesday and Thursdays, when we used to finish training in the morning, the youth team boys would go to college. And now the first right. team, sometimes on a Tuesday and Thursday, would do double sessions. And there was only me and um, Sean Smith, um, Smegger, I think he's now at Bala. Um, right. There was only me and him that used to stay about. So obviously we had to wait till the first team were done because we had to do you know the jobs, clean and change rooms. So we used to just get thrown into training at 16. You know, there wasn't any meat on us. We were still five. Well, I haven't grown, so I'm still the same size now, but I was like a stick. So there was no meat on me. 
Um, and we just used to get thrown in. And it was just then, I don't know what happened. I just started playing every Tuesday and Thursday with the likes of your, your Jay Harris, your Lee Fowler, your Pogba, yeah. your Danny Wright, Jake Spate. Right, that was a the season they got the 98 points. So I was playing with this team that was probably, um, well, when I saw it, you know, someone that was going, a team that was going to win the league that probably should have won that league that year. Obviously, only for Jamie Vardy and that to pip us. But um, I just started adjusting a bit more and getting a bit stronger, and then understanding more how to play with professional athletes every week. And I kind of just grew into it, and I had a good good training session and then at the time for the first bit Dean Saunders and Brian Carey were there and they yeah. took to me a little bit because obviously I was in the Wales under 16 setup as well so Dean Saunders obviously had his connections that way and I think that's how I kind of just got in before other lads um, and like I said I, I didn't really want to get the bus home so I was happy to stay there till four or five o'clock and my dad finished work and he could come pick me up so I think that's when I kind of jumped the ladder a little bit and um, that's when I started getting my feet on the ground and the ball rolling yeah, I mean, you sort of mentioned them, but the, the team was pretty settled when you started actually making it into the into the first team. What was it like playing with the likes of Keats and, and, and Harris? It, it was massive for my, you know, for my uh, my learning curve. I, I learned so much from um, Dean Keats and Jay Harris and Fowles as well. And I think Jamie yeah. Tolley was there for a bit. Um, Dean Keats, he kind of took me under his wing a little bit. Um, well, I remember the first training session I trained with him, I megged him. I called Megs, oh, and it's the worst thing I've ever done in my life, to be honest, because wow. I think he gripped me up. Yeah, he gripped me up and said, don't you in ever grip In a training session, and he said, don't you ever Megs me again, <laughs> uncall it. He said, and then he spoke to me after it, and he said, listen, obviously, I apologise for what I'm doing. I, I wouldn't bother, to be honest, a little rug and tug like that, but um, it was just, uh, I Megs the wrong person and probably shouldn't have called Megs at the end of it. Um, but like I said, me learning from Keatsy was probably the best thing that happened for me, and especially that midfield three at the time that was flying yeah. for Wrexham because um, they weren't massive. They weren't, you know, massively technically brilliant. They were kind of someone that was, wears a hat on the sleeve, puts, you know, communication, vocal on the pitch. You know, they, they, they'll run till 93rd minute. And like I said, obviously previously, that's kind of something that I thrived off and that's what I love doing and, then that you know working under them that was uh, massive for my uh, my education in football yeah yeah I mean was it more that you megged him or you called him <laughs> I, uh, what it was he was he, he cornered me up and there was literally there was nothing I could do and I thought can't if I'm not the ball pass he's just going to put his arm up and just absolutely move yeah. me out of the way so the only option was I had to meg him and I managed it, but it was the wrong thing I did. It was saying my high squeaky voice. I think I must have gone, next, like that. And he's just said, no, 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 no. If you're training with the first team, you can't do that at the age of 16. But it, it was right, you know, that was kind of the respect that I probably should have shown. But I think Keithy liked it because it was a bit of, right, you know, this lad doesn't care who he megs is or what he's going to do. And I think it kind of just went on from there, really. Yeah, did he, sort of, he was sort of probably drawing a line under it, wasn't he? Sort of like, you know... There's one thing to take the piss. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, he, listen, after, after it, he was all fine about it. It was just more, yeah. you know, this is, listen, if you come in here and, you you know, I'm going to do, you know, be nice with you now, but someone might come the next minute and just absolutely swipe your legs in a 50-50 challenge. So he said, just, you know, look after yourself in the right way. And yeah, I don't think I've yeah. ever megged anyone ever since. Fair enough. Was there <laughs> extra pressure being local? You know, um, you know what sort of Jordan Davis is going through now or what he went through at the beginning? He, yeah, so I, I, 
it wasn't until I was probably 19, no, but probably about, yeah, 19, 20, that's when I started feeling the pressure. At first, I was thriving off it, you know, being the local lad. But I don't think what people understood um, was, especially the lads that I, when I was there, you know, when I got home from a game and we lost, I don't know, just to no need to, that game just come top of my head. I think Louis Malt, that was the time he was flying. You know, I, I couldn't... I, I still sat with it. You know, I, I used to read the newspaper, the leader, the Daily Post on the Monday. I saw everything. All my mates are Wrexham fans. A lot of me, well, I am Wrexham. Well, I was Wrexham. So I saw it all. I could go to, you know, yeah. the petrol station. I'd see a Wrexham fan. I'd go to the co-op. I'd see a Wrexham fan. And they'd always ask. So I could never get away from it. Um, and that was, it came to a point when we weren't doing so well as a team. I think we'll speak on you know about it. I think in a bit, and it was the Gary Mills kind of second season when we brought a few yeah. players in from, and that was a season where um, the responsibility I felt as well because I never I wanted to win every week, no doubt any player does, but I just felt I needed to, I wanted to win even more because I'm a local lad and I just think I know how it feels and I know how the fans feel when they lose and how I feel when I lose and I just think that and I can understand well Jordan at the moment he's probably going through at the moment. But he's on the other end of it. He's at the top, you know, he's flying at the moment. Some credit to the lad. But like I said, he probably gets it as well. There's been some results maybe when they should have won or when they've drawn. And he'll feel the pressure as well, no doubt, because he understands what it means to the fans because he's a local lad. And I think that's um, that's what happens, obviously, with local lads. They just feel the pressure at some points and the responsibility towards the club. Yeah, I suppose, you know, a lot of, a lot of players, you know, they're carpooling it in, aren't they? Exactly, not- they, they don't see it all. You know what I mean? They play on a Saturday and then they go home to their family in Liverpool, Manchester, whatever it is, Birmingham. But we're always in the area. Um, and you know, it's not like you can get away from it. You know, you're training on Monday, so you're still disheartened on a Sunday, Monday because you're driving in and you know, you can see all these Wrexham fans and you know, through Rose and through Johnstown and stuff like that. And driving home, that was that was the worst. If you lost on a Saturday and you were driving home, you could see all the Wrexham fans going in to the grapes or into the black line in Rose and Johnstown and you'd have your head down just because you just you felt embarrassed in a way you know maybe we probably didn't deserve to win the game but it just felt like you know you were letting the fans down and that's what it's like for everyone I guess but for being a local lad you just it hits you a little bit you know it hits you a lot more to be honest yeah you can't really get away from it am I right in thinking you got made captain pretty early so was it yeah. was it in your teenage years that you you were, were captain for it a was game. it was 18 um uh, i think i just wow. turned 18 yeah we were playing um Gresley in the fa trophy um at home um and uh, we changed the squad a little bit and that's when i think i you know i got a start i think me and uh, bradley reed got a start in the game and we we knew we were starting but i obviously never knew that I was going to be captain um but you know obviously when you're in the change rooms and you're getting ready and the, the assistant manager usually calls you in to go and see the referees and yeah. then uh, Robbie and you come and I was like what what have I, done? What have I got fined for or have I packed you they didn't like that yeah they didn't tell me did not tell me at all so obviously I was flapping a little bit because I'm starting for Wrexham at 18 and then oh, just yeah. to add to the add a little bit of thing and they go yeah you're going to be captain today and I went oh right okay Look, obviously loved it but I never understood actually why they gave me the captaincy but I found out after it. Well, I think it was a joke out of it. They just said, "Oh, it puts an extra ten thousand pound on your transfer value if it ever happens." That's all they said, to be honest. Which <laughs> I was thinking, in you know, right? That's what clubs do. Actually, you do. They you know maybe put an eighteen-year-old who thinks maybe got a chance 
on captain for a game. Yeah. It just adds an extra bit of value. Obviously, that didn't happen for me, but uh, I think that was what they might have thought could have happened back then. And they just took a chance. And uh, yeah, so I was there, I think it was 18. And then I think the following week, I captained us against, I think it was Hyde around the Christmas period away at Hyde. I think we won 5 2. I think the Ogilvy scored a hat trick. But yeah, um, I was captain for that game as well, that young age. I mean, so yeah, it's not just like a one-off, really. Then is it? I can understand them doing, you know, playing a playing a different side for Gresley, but then you came in and keep the captaincy. They must have seen something they liked in that respect. Then I think it was me, and Joey's always said this. Joey said you've got a very old-fashioned style of football brain, and I, I never really thought what, or I never knew what it actually meant. But it kind of, I'm very vocal. I've always been very vocal. Well, like the Keatsy thing when I'm extinct, yeah. I've always had a voice. Yeah, and if even, yeah. even if, you know, I'm 16, 17, if I felt something was wrong, I would say it, maybe not as loud and probably not in the, the most respectful manner, but I'd tell them. And I just think they saw that little experience head at an early age in me. And I've, obviously I've still got it now because obviously a lot of the clubs after Wrexham, I have, you know, I've been captain. It's just, um, I've always trained as well. Like when I train, if I train, do a training game and we lose, I'm pissed off. <laughs> I hate losing. And that's in training. And usually when we were full-time at Rex, on a Friday, you do young versus old. Um, so, the you know, the eight oldest versus the eight youngest. And I'd hate losing. I'd, I'd hate it. And that was just in training. And I just think maybe they saw that. And that started mm-hmm. from, like I said, from Joey Jones, just that winning mentality, um, the desire and the right attitude. And, like I said, I weren't technically the best gifted. I'm still not the technically best gifted, but um, I'm one of them that, you know, in the team, if there was, I don't know, so a boot there and the ball was right there, I put my head there if I had to. If it meant me getting 10, 10 stitches, I get 10 stitches. And I just think that kind of um, diehard attitude and um, desire, I think that's what obviously they saw in me at an early age. Yeah, and maybe the team needed that at that point. Maybe they wanted you. If they could say, look, Here's an 18-year-old doing this. <laughs> why, yeah, why? And you, yeah. Looking back at it, because we had such a good squad, but we had such a good squad of footballers that you know. Mm. When I look back at it, like Jay Harris, and I think Jay's always said this. He's never been a captain, but because Jay is very, he'll play to his his own strengths. Just you know, he'll obviously be a squad player and a team player, but he's very right. I'm just going to work on myself. Where you know, Keatsy he could probably play the game, 90-minute game, without actually touching the football. He'll probably be a 7 out of 10 player just because of his voice, just right. the information he passes on. And Neil Ashton, he yeah, was exactly yeah. the same. Weren't technically gifted. You know, he had a great left foot. But again, he'd wear his hat on the sleeve and he could... And I think I mirrored what they them lot were doing. Um, and then, like I said, there were so many good footballers that there probably wasn't as many as people that would throw their body and stuff like that that they just wanted maybe someone like that to obviously lead the lads out Rob who was the um, manager around the time you were given the captaincy was it Andy Morrell by that point yeah so it was um, Andy Morrell and uh, Billy Barr as the uh, the assistant yeah and Oaksy Michael Oaks who was a goalkeeper coach yeah so it was Andy again um, that yeah he was the one that gave me the captaincy I'm just always interested in um, people's views on Andy Murrell, because from what I understand, he was a pretty good sort of man motivator, wasn't he? Yeah, he was He was brilliant for me, obviously for like a young lad as well coming through. He was one of them, you know, you've got so many different personalities in football and he was one of them that if you needed it, 
he'll 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 realize it and understand it, and you'll put your arm around your shoulder kind of thing. Where Billy Barr was the complete complete opposite, he was the one that would, if you need bollocking, he would. But again, in the right manner. So I think that's why them two work so well together, because you had Andy who was very calm. You know, I think he's still the calmest person now, and you've got Billy Barr who was very. Um, not ruthless, but well, yeah, ruthless. But again, some people needed that. Some people needed a good shouting, and that's what spurred them on. And then some people needed um, the arm around the shoulder. And I, I needed a bit of both because of that age, you know. I wanted the arm around the shoulder because I'm a 17, 18 year old coming through. But then also, I don't want to be no different. And I also needed, if I needed a kick up the ass, then I got Billy Bard to give me a kick up the ass. And I think that's just how it works so well for us both. Bit of a contrast to um, to a Dean Saunders then, in terms of Andy <laughs> being a calm figure. <laughs> yeah, I got I was in the youth team when Dean Saunders was coming through, and uh, I could yeah, he he was one of them. I think a lot of lads took to him again because he was very um, bizarre, and he had some ruthless. St- well, I remember as a youth team, I came in early, and there was the snow was covered the pitch. I don't know if you've heard the story. Snow, the pitch was covered in snow. The astroturf, right? We need to train. Joey said, well, we can't train. There's snow everywhere. We're going to need to dig the snow up, Joey said, in the right, in the nicest possible way. How the hell do you want us to clear up this snow? All we've got is a couple of shovels. And Dean Saunders' idea was to get the back of the minibus, open the minibus doors open, drive it onto the astroturf, and shovel the snow onto the bus. <laughs> Honest to God. And I, I'm obviously, I know this is a family show, so I'm not going to say what Joey exactly said to Dean. But he basically told him that you cannot do that. Simple as you can't do it. You won't have a minibus if you do that. It'll just get flooded. Yeah. So um, he was very football wise. He was fantastic out of football when you needed to do stuff. Yeah. He weren't. I don't think Dean Saunders was the brightest of the ideas. I think he was lucky that obviously Brian Carey was alongside him with that. It sounds like he's got no common sense. It's great. It's it's exactly that. It's it's like he doesn't process what he's thinking in his head. You know, right. if he just thought about what he just said then, he'd be like, oh, yeah, Staff, you can't do that. But he wouldn't. He'd just literally yeah, yeah. say it how it was. But uh, I think that's just his humour and his, you know, his sense of humour. And I think, yeah, it worked with the group of lads he had at the time. Well, very well. Going to the end of the sort of the morale period, I know you said, you know, he, he gave you, his, you got his debut, you, you were made captain. He, I, I don't know if you've heard the, the Andy Morell podcast, but he sort of says the, the season where he left, he didn't really get the budget that he wanted. He wanted to really kick that squad on and didn't think he was able to. Do you think he was harshly treated? Um, yeah. Um, you know, considering what he did, because don't get me wrong, I know Dean, Dean Saunders built, you know, the start of that squad. And when he took it over, um, it was kind of a big thing to do because at the time, obviously, Wrexham were flying. So for him yeah. to carry on doing that season, what he did, and then obviously the season after, um, when we got so close with the Newport and then obviously the FA Trophy and stuff like that, you, you look at it and I think it was just only two or three players that squad was needed, I think, for the year after, especially with the yeah. lads coming through as well. Your Bradley Reeds, who obviously later on went to Wolves. Um, he, he had such, he had, yeah, I think he was literally just missing two or three players for that next season. And, you know, I don't know the ins and outs why he left, or I, I, I to this day I don't think I can remember if he got sacked or not. I'm not 100 percent sure, um, yeah. but I, I think maybe in one more year um, with the right budget and stuff like that. I think yeah, because I think a lot of the lads who were there at the time loved Andy Morell. 
because a lot of them played with him, but obviously, they, so they all played with him. Um, yeah. But again, he was learning the manager process kind of way, and you could see him just kicking on a little bit, and he was getting it. And like looking back at the Newport game, obviously, I think that did hurt him. Um, I think he spoke about that before. I think I've read something. You know, it took him a good time to get actually get over that game. And I don't know if that you know made his decision, but I think with the right budget and the same core of lads that were there, just a few additions, I think, yeah, he would have had a really good season, I think, for himself and Billy Barr. Let's move on to the next person. Um, <laughs> Kevin Wilkin divides people. Now, I was going to say like no other, but we'll probably get on to Gary Mills, who, who, who divides <laughs> like no other. Yeah, um, yeah. How, how did you find Kev? Because he was, he was a big supporter of yours, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I like Kevin Milk and I still speak to him now because obviously he's in the same league as me. Obviously, I'm with Telford. He's with Brackley at the moment. So he's flying at the moment with Brackley. So I've seen him quite a few times this season. We always keep in contact. Yeah, it, like I said, he deserved his chance um, at Wrexham. No doubt about it. You know what he did with Nuneaton and the players that he brought through with Nuneaton, you know, especially, you know, your Moulton, your Wes Yorks and the lads who have obviously um, pushed on as well. Um and he got, looking back at the squad, like if oh, yeah. someone said about four or five years ago, you were going to have a front two of Connor Jennings and Louis Malt, you'd be thinking, all oh, right, yeah, snap your hands off straight away and I'll take that. But everything about it, you know, you Manny Smith, we brought the Manny Smith era in. We had a real, real good squad. Um, and like I said, he, he had a good year. And I think, again, probably went a little bit too soon to maybe what he probably should have got. I think that, and it goes to show what he's done in the last four or five years with Brackley, because let me tell you, I've played Brackley, they don't get, get four or 500 fans, they don't get the massive budget, but he seems to always get a good squad together. Um, and he did that, yeah, and it's just unfortunate, obviously, we, I know we had our, our highs of the, the Stoke, the FA Cup third round, we had a little yeah. run, um, but it was just unfortunate, obviously, the FA Trophy game, um, and I think that kind of just turned it on a little things, and uh, a few... Yeah, the vid, the, uh, di, the, what do I say? Diversions, divisions in the changing rooms. I think right. that just didn't help him too much. And I think um, I thought he was a really good manager, a really good coach. You could tell that was someone that's come from a league below up, wanted, you know, he was over the moon to get this challenge. And I think he, want, he wanted, I think he deserved a little bit more time just to actually prove what he actually could do. Because there's no doubt about it, he got a really good squad together that year. I mean, it's nuts, isn't it? Because to think so much happened during the the, the Wilkinie era, and it and it wasn't that long. You you talked about Stoke, you talked about the trophy final. I do think that there was the old sort of morale cabal of me, and they've all said it on this podcast. Yeah, and I, I've Paris heard it. Yeah. Yeah, Where were I've you heard... in that? Were you just sort of listening to them going, yeah, I, I sort of see it from both ways? Or, or were you on the other side thinking, no, we got to give this fellow a chance? I was a goody tutus. I was on the manager's side. I wanted to start every week. But no, you just said it then. And I've heard previous people that have been on the show. There was that you had, you know, a lot of Andy Morell's players that were still there that, you know, weren't just teammates. They were real good friends, you know, with the, you know, Andy Bishop that's played with Andy, uh, Andy Morell at Berry and stuff like that. So there was a lot of players that really, really were good mates with um, Andy Morell. And I just don't think them lads give... Um, Kevin Wilkin a chance too much you know they, they did everything right they trained really hard they played when they had to but there's always that you know and that's never going to work in in this especially this league you need a really really tight bond you need a manager and a group of players that will die for each other and I just think Wilkin didn't have it have that 
he had majority of the changing rooms. I just, I don't think he had it all, and um, um, I think that's obviously what just didn't work out for him in the end. Um, and like I said, I'm not dissing, not digging out any players here or any managers. I just think in football that sometimes happens. Um, so yeah, I was kind of the man in the middle with a few younger lads. You know, yeah, Ross White that was there and stuff like that. You know, we we didn't understand what was going on. We just kind of trained when we had to do and then play. You know. What we uh, what we love doing for the club, and yeah, that was it really. Um, I mean, if we Stoke was obviously a high. I mean, we ultimately we lost, but you know what a good account of ourselves. Like eighty minutes, eighty yeah. minutes one nil up against a Premier League team. What was going through your mind with ten minutes to go? Did you saw it's all the, the like, you must have seen like didn't they bring on Ireland and Crouch and things the, like that? That that day, I I know to be honest, we overachieved what we actually did against Stoke. You know, I think we're currently ninth in the Premier League at that time. Land of giants, you know, there were no messing about. But it always, I always look mm-hmm. back at it, and it, when it comes up every year, the anniversary, and they they, they play the the um, the game on um, BBC Sport Wales or something like that, or on social media, I always watch it. And I just think ten minutes, and you know, for us to play against the the starting eleven, Stoke put out. For us to do what we did, for them to bring on your Stephen Island, um, your Crouchy, you're just thinking, just give us a fucking chance. You know what I mean? <laughs> to bring them three players on, um, <laughs> but you know what? We look at the chances. Where's York with the bar and stuff like that? It was just such a good day out, and you know, it wasn't like we we, we accounted ourselves very well. I think I had about thirty members of my family and thirty friends who went up to Stoke for the weekend. Um, Probably in no good state on the Sunday, but yeah, they had a hell of a weekend. And yeah, for us to play in that, that was the first time I've ever played in front of that kind of fans, but not just watching a Wrexham game, being them obviously relishing them, you know, being at a Stoke Stadium and 5,000 fans just in front of you. Um, at that that goal, Kara's goal, um, yeah. to this day will always be one of my all time favorite goals. Even I didn't score it, but just to be part of it and then seeing, you know, what, five, five and a half thousand fans. Yeah, it was um, something that will uh, live with me for a long time. I mean, I, I know we sort of say that, I know the likes of Ashton maybe said that in many ways, Wilkin was quite limited tactically, but he played Mark Carrington as an attacking mid that game, which <laughs> no one saw coming. And, you know, he he, he got the opener. You know, there, well, there was... How it worked, we went as we went for like a, a three-horse midfield, he called it. Three lads who were gonna basically run. <laughs> so it was we started off as a flat three. So it was me one side, Cara down the middle, and Jay Harris on the other side. But then as the game was going on, he was telling Cara obviously just to go a bit more forward, a bit more forward. And then in the end, it was me and Jay, uh, me and Jay sitting and Cara as the number 10. I don't think Cara's played the number 10 in his life, but he had the energy. Cara's not the quickest, but probably one of the fittest lads I've ever played with when it comes to running. And I think that's why he went with that. And listen, tactical genius, or I don't know what, but it turned out to be a spot on for Carrot to get that goal. I've never seen him in the in the 18 yard box in my especially in attacking 18 yard box. I've never yeah. seen him that high in the pitch. So for him to do that in the I think it was the 78th, 79th minute, yeah, it was uh, it's quite remarkable. Going on to the trophy final, a lot of people sort of say that maybe there was a few turning points in it. And I think one that gets mentioned is maybe subbing you on for, for Dean Keats. Now, I understand why why Kevin Wilkin did that, because yeah. you 2-0 up and he wants to give you time to, to experience. Yeah. Yeah. But also, 
I'm not just saying because, oh, you know, we want to give, give, give the young lad some time. He wants you to maybe in five years look back on that moment and go, that's, yeah. that's the sort of thing that kicked me on. Could, yeah. How do you sort of, sort of process so, that? This is, this is probably, well, this, since that game, this is going to be the first time that I've ever spoken about this FA Trophy game. 